Hello, I'm Zev Newworth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented, value-based, and humanistic system of health. The views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. Folks, I'm just going to pick up on this theme of humanistic system of health today. This is a theme that seems to run through so many of the interviews I've been conducting over the past five years. The truth is I'm not really sure how to exactly label it or how to even fully describe it, but it's so clearly embedded in so many different streams of work and approaches that have been applied to healthcare, whether you're talking about Clayton Christensen's jobs to be done approach, which talks about really understanding the progress that people are trying to make in their lives, not just from a functional, but also an emotional and relational level. I interviewed Dr. Shriya Kangjovi from University of Pennsylvania, who's deployed this brilliant community health worker model. And again, it's at the core of, of that work. I've heard it from Dr. Chris Crow, the CEO of Catalyst Health Network. He's a visionary primary care leader, also talks about this. In fact, just heard it from a guy, Yoni Stein, who's the CEO and co-founder of Laguna Health. He is amazing. And what they're doing is amazing, assisting people in the journey after surgery. But so much of that interview was about this particular theme that we're going to touch on today. And whether it was talking to Raphael Rakowski, if you recall that episode, the founder of Medically Home, or Glenn Tolman of Lavango and Transcarent, and Robbie Pearl, the former CEO of Kaiser Permanente, literally wrote a book about this. This is a universal theme that's really been expressed, I, I would say, by almost every single individual I've had the chance to interview. And it's more than a theme, though. It's really, I would label it almost a yearning. And the yearning is this, to have medical care that goes beyond just the physical and the transactional, that goes beyond just recognizing and treating disease and illness, which are obviously critically important, but they're not enough. It's about medical care that recognizes and treats us as a whole person we've been in this sort of genre of patient experience for the last few decades. This is much, much more than that. And it's even more than just treating people with respect and dignity, which should be a given. This theme, this yearning takes into account the the circumstances, the context of people's lives, including all of their so-called social determinants of health, the, the issues of their culture, their background, their racial disparities, all of that and more. And I think it's really a yearning for the care providers and the organizations that provide medical care to us to really understand not just what's the matter with us, but what matters to us, which our guest is going to speak more about, to really understand what's meaningfully important and relevant to us in our lives, to really be heard and understood and in the true sense of the word, to be attended to. And I'll add this, although the primary issues around taking care of people as patients and, and healthcare consumers. I actually think this applies so much to clinicians, to doctors and nurses and PAs and NPs and, and staff and techs, all the folks who work within the healthcare system, I think want the same exact thing. They're yearning for that. I mean, there's a reason that burnout is epidemic in healthcare delivery, and it's not because the work is hard. So you're hearing and and this is a bit of a different intro than I usually give. And, and, and I have to tell you, it's really authentic. I, I can honestly tell you that this theme, this yearning has been with me since literally the first year of my being an attending physician after I finished my residency in Manhattan. And I would say it's the theme that has inflected and directed my entire career from the beginning up until this very, very moment as we're doing this podcast. 
So when I came across our guest today and the work he and his colleagues are engaged in, so now you have that background, you can imagine I, I was so excited and even more so because he's an expert in this domain, really dedicated his career to it. He's actually given it a name. He and his colleagues, there's actually a national program that they're deploying around this theme and yearning. So super excited to be speaking with our guest today, who I'm about to formally introduce. But before I do that, quick request, if you listen to the podcast and you find value in it, please go and rate the episode, share it with your colleagues through email, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever social media you use. It's important because that actually helps people find the podcast online. And, and for those of you, and I've noted those of you who are actually rating the episodes and you're sharing them online, just want to say, I truly, truly appreciate you taking a moment to help spread the podcast and spread the word on creating a new healthcare. So Dr. Benjamin Clickler, board certified family physician. He's been a clinician, an educator. He's a researcher. He's also a leader in the field of complementary and integrative medicine for over 25 years. In May of 2016, he was named the National Director of the Integrative Health Coordinating Center in the Office of Patient-Centered Care and Cultural Transformation, it's a mouthful, as well as the Director of Education and Research for what is called Whole Health. In May of 2020, Dr. Kligler was named Executive Director of that same office. He is a professor of family and community medicine at the ICANN Mount Sinai School of Medicine and was vice chair and research director of the Mount Sinai Beth Israel Department of Integrative Medicine. He is also a core faculty member of the leadership program in integrative healthcare at Duke University. An impressive, impressive background. Ben, I hope you don't mind if I call you by your first name. How are you today? I am great and to be honest, even better after I heard your intro, Zev, because that that word yearning, I think just captures so much of where uh, where we're all at with this right now, where we have been, but now I feel like it's really coming out into just open conversation in a way that it it hasn't until quite recently. So uh, I'm uh, I'm doing well and and even better now that I'm on the on the line with you. Well, thank you, Ben. First of all, before we go on, I do have to take a moment because I actually spent the first six or seven years of my career at the VA, actually at the Bronx VA, and I, I just want to take a moment to thank you and thank your colleagues who are in Veterans Health Administration for the work you do taking care of vets. I know it's not easy because I've been there myself, but it is so, so important. And starting with President Lincoln, who set this up for veterans, so critically important to take care of veterans. So what you're doing is just magnified even more so because of where you're doing and who you're helping out. So just wanted to take a moment to thank you for your service and your colleague's service. Thank you. And I think uh, it's a privilege and you know, more to the point is thanking the veterans who who we get to work with. Um, but yeah, it's a real privilege, and and it's a it's a great system in the sense that it's really mission driven. Uh, everybody who works there has the same mission, and obviously there are bumps and obstacles and challenges. But but that mission is really front and center. Uh, that you know the veterans deserve absolutely the best care that we can deliver, and that's why we're there. So thank you, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's a joy to be able to connect with you and actually connect through this conversation with the VA. So before we jump into a little bit more details about whole health, which I'm super excited about, could you just give us, for folks who have no familiarity with it, sort of that elevator pitch, if we were going from the first to the seventh floor in your VA, what, what would you sort of, and I was introducing to someone, what would you just sort of say just to start the conversation so they have a sense of what this is about? Well, what I would say is that whole health is an approach to care that 
is looking to go beyond the idea, just as you said, of, of what's the matter with you, which is where our healthcare system has tended to stop, as in what diseases do you have? What do we need to do to help you with those diseases? Going beyond that really to look at the whole person and to ask the question of what matters to you and to really do what we call changing the conversation where uh, we're still gonna provide the disease-oriented care and the health promotion and prevention and the vaccinations and everything that we already do fairly well. But now we're gonna do it in the context of really understanding you much better as a person and really um, engaging you and what's important to you in, in making the plans and making the decisions. And I think that's at the core of it. Uh, it has a lot of different components, which I'm happy to talk about, but it includes things like health coaching, uh, a lot of uh, self-management skill development so that people really become able to take care of themselves. Uh, and also a big component of peer-to-peer -peer support basically for veterans working with other veterans to kind of make that social connection. That's also a really important part of health. Uh, that's the up to the seventh floor. If you give me a couple more floors, <laughs> I can go on, but that's that's as far as I could get it. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Thanks for going with the metaphor. No, we're, we're going to be riding this elevator for a while. So <laughs> up and down, press whatever buttons you want. What do you think the problem is? What, what do you think is missing in, and, and you sort of alluded to it, healthcare is phenomenal. We're getting better and better at diagnosing and treating illness and technology is advancing. I think the people in healthcare are incredible and, and passionate about what they're doing, but what's sort of missing? Why is this important for vets or for just people in general to have something more than just the sort of, I think you called it, find it and fix it in our correspondence? Yeah. Um, well, I think you really described it well. Why is it important? It's that yearning that you're talking about, and it's that yearning for uh, being seen for who you are as a person and that yearning that we have as healthcare givers for, for real connection with the people we're working with. And um, I think over the last 50 plus years, we've seen just a, um, a sort of um, reduction of the human experience into the experience of the various organs and systems in the body. And that's the way, unfortunately, the healthcare system has built out its structure is around that idea of kind of divide and conquer. And obviously this is not universal. There are specialties like my own family medicine, for example, or, or a lot of primary care medicine, like rehab, geriatrics. There are plenty of specialties that are explicitly committed to seeing the whole person. But even in those specialties, sometimes we do that with a little too much focus on what's the matter with you and what are your diseases. And and I think that what's happened is we've just hit a wall with that, um, you know, and it's an often quoted statistic, but you look at our, our, our sort of um, statistics around the quality of healthcare and life expectancy, et cetera, in our country, and compared to how much we spend per capita, we're just way down in the trenches as far as how we compare to other countries. And, and I would argue that a lot of that is because we're leaving out an important part of the equation. We're leaving out conversation about the social determinants of health. What is it that you might need in terms of uh, social safety nets, uh, programs that can help you with housing, with uh, other kinds of uh, disparities that you may be experiencing. And we take all our money and spend it on the high-tech care and many other countries that have much better outcomes than we do are actually flipping that and spending much more of that money upfront in terms of looking at the whole person, thinking about what they need, 
uh, and thinking about how to how to prevent some of these downstream situations that we end up spending most of our money on in the states. So I think it's both a acknowledgement that our healthcare system has taken us a long way, but is failing us in some ways in terms of ability to address things like um, a lot of chronic illnesses, things like the suicide epidemic, the substance use epidemic, the epidemic of loneliness. We are not successfully addressing those things with our current approach, and we need to try something different. So that's that's what we're doing in the VA. Yeah, no, and just double click on on a couple of things you said. As you point out, the the epidemic of loneliness, and it, it is exactly that. It's been described and written and, and now being studied. Uh, suicidality continuing to rise in this country, and it, it was there before the pandemic and just continues to, and, and the opioid abuse. These are, these are not insignificant problems and getting worse. The other thing you said, too, and I mentioned I had spoken to Yung Stein, who is the CEO founder of a company called Laguna Health, which is a, a post-acute care. They take care of patients after they've come out of surgery when they're in their homes. And what I found really, and it so resonates with everything you've just said, what I really was struck by is he brought on board a couple of real experts in this kind of home-based care space who had spent decades literally studying how people get into trouble in a home after coming back from the hospital. And what he said was what he was surprised to find out and his model around, which I think really, really resonates with what you all are doing in whole health is he said the clinical stuff's important you got to measure the blood pressure and the temperature and the oxygenation and the weight and all that sort of stuff after discharge but the real issues are not typically the clinical issues those are not the things that get you in trouble it's it's the anxiety it's the depression it's the inability to get up or go to the bathroom it's it's stuff you wouldn't think about that really isn't purely clinical in nature and so i can imagine some folks are thinking well this is a nice to have but I'd like to frame it and tell me if you if you agree with this or not, but I don't believe this is a nice to have anymore. To your point, we keep on spending more and more money. And as you pointed out, we're, we're something like 35th or 37th in the world in the U.S. in terms of life expectancy, which is absolutely, uh, I mean, I can't even understand how that can be. And yet it's true. So we're not doing what we can for our patients or our public. And in terms of the money, even, this is probably a lower cost option than a lot of the high tech options sort of as well. So just your thoughts about that. Yeah, I think when you say it's a must have, I think that's absolutely the way to, 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 to describe it. And I think the good news is that it's it's not just you, it's not just me or the other guests on your show. I mean, this is emerging in mainstream thinking about what we need to do. So just as one example, you know, the National Academy of Medicine recently released a report on primary care and, and they really uh, stepped forward in what they recommended, which is that we need to be taking care of the whole person. They said this explicitly. They said it has to be teams taking care of the whole person because just the clinician can't do it by themselves. And, you know, these are starting to come out of sort of the, the mainstream thought leading institutions in the country that um, not that we want to give up uh, our success with high tech medicine and with some of the really amazing disease oriented interventions, but that we've just hit a wall and there are things we can't address with those approaches. And, and I think really you have to look at, uh, I don't mean to keep going back to it, but mm -hmm. the overdose and substance use problem we're sure. seeing over the last year or two is just a great example. You know, why is that happening? You know, obviously the pandemic is, is taxing people and lots of other stresses in our lives, but 
you know, why are people isolated and, and, and uh, stuck in a place where that's the only option that they have to deal with their pain, you know? And so uh, that's why I think it's a must have. And um, I think what's great about our situation in the VA is we've had really forward looking leaders in our health system who've been willing to say, okay, this may not be the way mainstream healthcare looks at its job, but we're going to start looking at it this way. And, and I think in particular, there's a compelling uh, argument for doing that in the VA because of the many, many, many different challenges that veterans face that go beyond just managing their diabetes or their hypertension or uh, whatever other medical problem they have and really go into these spaces of uh, what's giving your life meaning and purpose and how do you address the need for social connection and and some of the other things that veterans are are sometimes really struggling with um so i think we have a platform that has really welcomed this approach because of the needs of of the people we take care of which is is really a a, a great opportunity for us hmm. okay let's press the button on the elevator and why don't we do a deeper dive so what are the components like, and you began to talk about health coaching in terms of whole health. I know there are different parts to it and components. Could you, could you do a deeper dive on some of those? Sure. So the model that we're um, using in the VA, we call the whole health system of care. And this you might think of as the delivery model for delivering this concept of whole health, which is really much bigger than any particular program or, or even model of care, because it's really about a a, a paradigm shift and a transformation in how we think about our job. So the whole health system, uh, as we are, are, are describing it and using it, has three parts. The first we call the pathway, which is where uh, veterans have the chance to experience a connection with another veteran, sort of a peer-to-peer uh, dimension to the whole model. And uh, we have a large cadre of veterans now who are trained as facilitators and peers to have these conversations with their fellow veterans. and. These might happen in a group. So we have a lot of group programs. Uh, they might happen individually. A lot of it is happening online. And that conversation is where people get to not necessarily focus on their diseases, but really focus on what's most important to you in your life right now. What's getting in your way? What are the things, what are the areas where you might uh, need help identifying resources and strengths in yourself that you can have a better chance of, of getting closer to what matters to you? So that's the pathway. And let me say before I tell you the other two parts, there's no rules about this. It's not like everybody has to engage with every part of the whole health system. It's really about no wrong door and, and what's right for an individual, what's right for this particular person who is in front of us. So the second part of the system is called the well-being program. This is where veterans have access to uh, really a lot of the skills they might need to help move forward in their lives. So maybe it's nutrition, maybe it's uh, Tai Chi or yoga or meditation class, maybe it's health coaching. It also might be where they get access to some of the other complementary therapies that are available in VA now. Uh, VA is uh, covering now uh, eight evidence-based complementary integrative health approaches as part of standard medical benefits. So for example, acupuncture, biofeedback, uh, clinical hypnosis, these things are now covered. So the well-being program is also where kind of veterans have the chance to expand their toolbox of how they're approaching whatever problem they're struggling with. And then the third component is uh, whole health clinical care. And this is where, you know, you're still going to your primary care team, you're still going to your pain doc or your mental health provider, but they've all uh, opened up to become engaged with this idea of 
uh, to do the best job for you, they need to know what's important to you. And they need to know uh, how they can integrate that into their conversation with you. And that involves a lot of training. So there's a very, very big training initiative underway. A lot of clinicians are naturally inclined that way already. That's why they went into healthcare was to really connect with people and understand what's important to them. But some people are not that way naturally. And some people have kind of had it trained out of them <laughs> during their medical education. So we're trying to just help people reconnect with that. And then Underneath this idea of the whole health system uh, is kind of the larger community, the environment people live in, all the structural determinants of health that we need to kind of identify and, and bring into the conversation with veterans. So that's also an important part of the equation. And that's the model that we're spreading across the VA. As I said, it's uh, taking different shapes in different places because different parts of the country are different. The veteran population seen at different VA medical centers are different and staff is different. So, you know, the idea is to really have an openness to people um, standing this up in lots of different ways with a real, though, uh, kind of eye on commitment to the principles of, of really taking care of the whole person. So that's that's uh, that's uh, floor seven to 18, maybe. <laughs> sorry, beating that metaphor to death, you're probably sorry. You, uh, no, no, no. I, uh, this is this is a very tall VA building. We're in. Um, <laughs> right. We've got 140. We got 140 medical centers. You know, we got six million enrolled veterans. So yeah, there's it's a that's there's a lot to say. Did you say 140? Yeah, there are the there are. I don't have the number at the tip of my tongue, but 140 plus VA medical centers. So those are the wow. designated medical centers, and then over a thousand outpatient sites around the country, um, and across the system. Generally speaking, it fluctuates, but the number of veterans enrolled and actively receiving care is around six million. Oh, that's great. Thanks for sharing those numbers. A couple of questions. I love the phrase you used before and a couple of times now, changing the conversation. And so I'm just so impressed that you all are training physicians and I guess other staff. Could you say a little bit more about that? Just the fact that you're training them. I mean, so this is a, is this a nationally deployed program? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a, so part of the charge of our, our office, um, uh, was stood up about 10 years ago. And part of the charge from the beginning has been building out education for um, not just physicians, but really all VA staff, particularly clinical staff. So nursing, physical therapy, uh, medical assistants, everybody really needs to be engaged with this. Um, and so we have built out a very large sort of uh, education operation nationally, you might say, um, with courses ranging from you know two-hour courses to uh, three-day courses that are more sort of specific and specialized in certain areas. And uh, our goal really ultimately is to reach everybody. So VA, alongside those other numbers, are really daunting numbers. VA has over 350,000 employees. And uh, so far, we've touched 32,000 of them with our education program. That's a drop in the bucket. And we really... Uh, uh, we need to reach out to more and more of them. Now, the good news is that that's accelerating that. And one thing that we've done in the last two years is we've trained about 150 clinicians who are based out in VA medical centers in the field on how to deliver the curriculum so that now we've got not just a national faculty sort of traveling around doing this teaching where they can, but really uh, the goal is ultimately to have every facility have some trained whole health faculty who can help get their 
colleagues at their facility up to speed and help kind of mentor them on where they're going. So uh, I would say education is one of the biggest uh, parts of what we're trying to do and, and one of the biggest challenges just because the scale is so large. And so I want to dive into that. Then I want to actually ask you about the veteran to veteran, that peer to peer program. But in the training, so that question about really changing the conversation to what matters to you. So in the training program, do you get that sort of specific about teaching people and maybe reawakening people? How do you help clinicians and, and others change the conversation? Yeah, great question. So I think probably the most important part of it is we um, we feel that to really engage with this with veterans, people have to kind of engage with it for themselves. And so all of our almost all of our courses have at least a component where uh, we ask the participant to uh, kind of go through this process and uh, and really kind of get what it feels like to think about what matters to you. And so basically we ask them, uh, can you reflect on what matters to you most in your life? What's most important to you in your life? And then we have a tool that's called the circle of health, which is just a circle that basically uh, outlines uh, sort of eight domains of self-care, self-management, like moving the body, spirit and soul, uh, family and relationships. And basically you walk around the circle, not necessarily physically, but you identify areas where you're strong and areas where you might need more help. And then the third part of this is you make some kind of a plan. So you commit to some kind of goal in at least one of those areas. I'm going to call my mom. I'm going to go to synagogue or church where I haven't been in a long time. I'm going to take a walk every day for the next month, whatever it might be. And so that's it. So we try to get all the staff in our courses to go through that kind of exercise. That's one kind of real, I think, a fundamental foundational part of this. And then when it comes to how are you going to do this with patients, um, there are really a lot of tools out there. So uh, the main tool we've used is called the Personal Health Inventory. And this is a brief, it's a two-page sort of um, um, it's a questionnaire, I guess you could say, but it's really meant to be used by the veteran for the veteran, you know, kind of with them. And it basically does what I just said. It asks you to reflect for a minute on what's most important to you. And then it lists these domains of self-management, and then it takes you down towards, can we make a goal? Um, so that's, that's the core of the approach. And that kind of comes through in all the courses. Now, I'll just say one more thing about this stuff, which is recently, as we've been in a bigger push to get this uh, really out to the front of uh, all the primary care practices and all the mental health practices in the country, we've kind of broken it down even farther. And so what we're basically teaching folks to do or asking them to do is just make sure two questions bubble up during the conversation with the veteran. The first question is, what is most important to you in your life right now? The second question is, what is one thing you might be willing or able to do right now, starting today or tomorrow, to get closer to that? And if you do those two things, you're really on the road to shifting how you're looking at, uh, at how that person is going to become uh, more healthy. Because you've right away sort of centered it on what's most important to them, and you've centered it on what is it you can do, not what I can do as the physician or the clinician to fix you. What is it you can do? So that's turning out to be kind of the, the essential tool in some ways is those two questions. And they then build out to lots of other opportunities. You know, you might then refer the person to a health coach or you might refer them 
to a, a class in one of the areas where they could use more skill building or you know a lot of different places you could go from there um, but that's i think at the core of it and, and all of our courses kind of touch on um, those foundational elements i would say wow that's that is so fantastic I I love the systematic approach and the, and the tools and the toolkit you're giving folks so that it's it's replicable and it's scalable and it's probably something you could study then. I'll get to that in a second because I do want to ask you about outcomes and results. But before that, so just one thing you said before, when did the program start? I mean, how long have the VA been deploying this or? Um, well, our office started with our crazy uh, cultural transformation in our name uh, in 2011. Um, and so it's been, we just had our sort of 10th anniversary at the end wow. of last year. Um, the concept of whole health or coining the term whole health maybe came along and I don't know exactly when 2014, 15 ish. Um, but really it actually builds on a lot of stuff that's been going on in the VA for a long time. So this whole idea of, um, person or patient centered care, uh, empowering the patient to make changes. These are ideas that have been around in the VA for decades. And similarly, the idea of expanding the toolbox so we can offer complementary therapies that are outside of just what conventional care offers. That's also been happening kind of on a grassroots level in VA for probably two decades. So what, what we've really been able to do is bring together these streams that have already been very strong, uh, but just not kind of organized into a, a coherent program or model for how to move it forward. So, I mean, really the truth is this is being generated by veterans, it's being generated by a VA staff, and all we're doing is kind of facilitating it's taking a shape that that is more reproducible and more kind of sustainable in the long run. So um, I think we're fortunate in that. We didn't have to come in and just start this from scratch. Wow. I have to say, I feel even more connected to you now because I was in the VA as a primary care internal medicine physician in the late 1990s. And I actually was part of the national group that was beginning to work on the whole notion of patient-centered care and empathetic care and relationship-centered care. I hadn't thought about that in such a long time, but you just took me back to that. So you're absolutely right. It started, probably started even before that, but I was working on it in the late 1990s in the VA system. It's that same stream and it's part of why I think VA adopted the medical home model early on in that transformation. And um, yeah, absolutely. And, and, so um, and, you know, when we get a little further, maybe someday we'll change our name to the Office of Person-Centered Care as opposed to Patient-Centered Care. We're working on that. But uh, um, yeah, this is a long-time commitment at the VA, I would say. It's brilliant. I, I love the persistence and the perseverance and, and building on it and getting better and better. And where you've come to now is just awesome. The peer-to-peer do you know how many veterans you've trained to be these peer-to-peer -peer folks and, and what do they do? Yeah, you know, I don't have that number at the tip of my tongue. Uh, I mean, certainly uh, in the thousands. Um, some of them, though, are, are actually employed as VA employees and a good number of them are also volunteers. So they're coming in from the community to do it. Um, what they do is they basically... It's very similar to what I just described. You know, they start that conversation. They might use the personal health inventory. They start that conversation. They listen to the veteran. You know, their goal is not to fix anything. That's the real part of their training. Their goal is to listen and understand what's important to the person and where they want to go. So, you know, they don't do any kind of clinical interventions or clinical decision making, but they really are about 
starting that conversation and so the kind of um sort of i guess you might say the classic model of this is a course we have called taking charge of my life and health taking charge of my health and life and um this is a anywhere from a four-week to a nine-week course where veterans meet wow. in a group and kind of walk through those domains of the circle and everybody gets to you know, have a chance to sort of identify where they want to move forward. Um, but that doesn't work for everybody. Some people can't make that much of time commitment. So they might end up doing it um, in a in a virtual uh, call with one of our facilitators. Um, we also have an app now that's just kind of coming out into widespread use called the Live Whole Health app, where they can actually do the uh, personal health inventory on the app and then share that uh, either with a fellow veteran peer or with uh, uh, the rest of their healthcare team if they want to. So it's really about finding ways to have that conversation outside of the clinical setting. And that's where the coaches come in too, is that, you know, and many, many of the whole health coaches are also veterans and they have a little bit more training because health coaching is actually now an established profession. So it requires more training and there's a national board certification, et cetera. But that's another place where that it's really about conversation, uh, goal setting, um, understanding what's important to you. So uh, I guess I would say that veteran to veteran conversation is happening in a lot of different ways in a lot of different settings. And, and we want that to be more and more. We want it to get outside the walls of the VA. So maybe those classes can be offered at the Y or maybe they can be offered at, uh, at, at veteran service organizations or at local community centers. You know, I think ultimately, it's about going out to people where they are, uh, not necessarily waiting for them to come to the medical center. So, you know, that's a big, that's a long-term uh, dream, but I think that's really where we want to see it going in the long run. Is the whole health program offered in every one of the VAs or has it not made it through all 140 or so? Yeah. Or... Great question. It, something <laughs> is available everywhere. It might be it. one whole health coach, or one lone uh, chiropractor or one lone um, a clinician trying to practice this way. Um, it is gradually spreading across all the medical centers because it, it takes a long time. It's a different way of doing things. There are a number of places where it's very well established and very uh, well kind of the infrastructure is really built. So for example, there's 18, what we call the whole health flagships around the country. Uh, that have really been moving this forward over the last five years and have produced a lot of really great outcomes. Um, it's right now we have, I think in FY21, uh, there were 7.8% of the veterans enrolled in the health system were using whole health, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that comes out to over 500,000 people. Um, and that number had grown 20% over the previous year. So it's really growing fast. Uh, I think we're going to continue to see uh, over the next, you know, I want to say three to five years that by the end of that period, it will be really visible at every VA and every veteran will have easy access to it. But it is a lift and it, it's, I don't want to be unrealistic and, and lead people to think they can get all the services everywhere because we're still building it. Um, no. I think the practice is really, really fast now and really encouraging. The numbers are are really both in terms of VA employees that have been trained and the number of, of veterans that you're reaching, I think you're slowly getting to a tipping point. That's really, really, really fantastic. I mean, deployment is always the challenge, in, in especially in large organizations and especially with the, the national geographic spread that the VA has. Question, so in terms of 
results, outcomes. You're a researcher. I'm sure you've got researchers on the team. What kinds of data do you have? But also, I'm really, really curious as to just on a personal level, how are people receiving this? Do you have any stories of vets who have been through this and how it's helped them? I'm just really, I yeah. maybe even start there. Oh, we have so many stories. I mean, we've actually done a lot of formal, you know, qualitative um, research with veterans to try to capture, you know, what exactly is happening when people have the whole health experience. And, you know, you'll hear people say things like, um, you know, I've had chronic pain for years. Uh, I was on an opioid medication. I really didn't like it. It made me drowsy. And then my uh, primary care doctor had learned battlefield acupuncture, which is a very quick uh, 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 ear or auricular acupuncture technique that gives some very good short-term relief of pain. And um, so I went to see my doctor. He did BFA and suddenly for at least a few hours, my pain was better. And it was the first time I ever had the experience of something besides a medication being able to take my pain away. So that guy then, we have a video of him actually on the website. He went on to try a whole lot of other kinds of approaches and work with a whole health coach and started to lose weight and kind of all the things that opened up to the different possibilities. And the, I mean, literally hundreds and hundreds of those stories um, it, it's really kind of inspiring. And, um, and then on a kind of quantitative level, uh, we have been doing some pretty rigorous analysis of outcomes at the 18 flagship sites. And actually, because those, that program was mandated by Congress uh, in a piece of legislation, we had to deliver a report up to Congress last year on specifically on some of these outcomes. And some of the most impressive things we found are that uh, the veterans who are using whole health compared to the veterans who didn't, um, had a 38% drop over the course of a year in their average opioid dose. Veterans who didn't use whole health had an 11% drop because obviously we're trying to reduce opioid overuse in everybody. But basically the veterans who chose whole health were able to reduce their dose uh, three and a half times uh, the degree of people who didn't. Now, you know, that might not be cause and effect. It's an observational study. So, you know, it's not a randomized clinical trial. But at the same time, that's a very meaningful outcome. And I, I want to make sure the message is there that we're not in any way saying uh, everybody needs to be off opioids, because I think that mm -hmm. that message has in some ways come out from parts of the healthcare system. And it's not about that, but it is about uh, if you're going to be on opioids, we want you on the lowest effective dose because that's the safest way to do it. So um, so decrease in opioid utilization. We've also seen uh, increased sense of engagement with healthcare and veterans. So they are participating more in their healthcare. We've seen uh, improvements in stress, improvements in pain, improvements in uh, both physical and mental quality of life reporting. Um, so really, it's, it's pretty, you know, uh, widespread kind of the, the, the range of benefits that we're seeing in veterans. I mean, there's always more to learn. And, and I think it is important to say, you know, these are our observational in this prospective cohort observational trials. So there's a lot of possibility for bias and confounding, and it's very hard to draw um, absolute cause and effect conclusions. Right. Um, but at the same time, you know, this is health services research and that's the way you do health services research is you really have to look at what's happening in the real world. And, and I think both from a qualitative point of view in terms of what we hear from veterans and quantitative in terms of the, uh, the outcome surveys we're collecting, um, 
everything is really pointing in the right direction. Also, the last thing I'll say about that, Deb, yeah. just very quickly, yeah. is we also have data showing that um, when employees are more engaged with whole health at their facility, they have lower burnout, they have lower turnover intent, and they score higher on what they call the best places to work scale. So, uh, so we have some preliminary data also that shows that creating this as part of the environment that people work in has uh, really substantial benefits for the staff as well. I'm so glad you you shared that. And let me pick up on that. So first of all, I love the fact that you're offering this to clinicians and staff and, and you're seeing positive outcomes so far as a result of that. I can imagine a couple of things here. Physicians are, are super busy. Staff is super busy just doing regular kind of find it, fix it clinical medicine. And, and time and the pressure of time. And then, of course, the pressure of, of compensation and in terms of churning RVUs and, and productivity and all those sorts of aspects of, of care that many people aren't aware of, although those who are in it are very, very aware of. I can imagine someone asking, well, how do the physicians have the time or clinicians have the time to ask these questions, to add this onto a, a schedule and an agenda with their patients that is already beyond full in terms of having to see so many patients every hour, et cetera. So one question is sort of that time pressure and burden, and the other is related in terms of payment. I can imagine people asking the question, well, this is great, but I, I don't get paid to do this. And so just a couple of questions about those. What would you say to that? Yeah, super important question. So in terms of the time, so one part is we're very clear on the message that this whole health is a team sport. It does not fall on the clinician to do the whole thing. So, you know, there's a whole primary care team. There's a whole mental health team. A lot of this work, you know, the 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 uh, LPN might be involved. The social worker might be involved. And obviously they're putting this in the chart so that the clinician has access, but we don't expect it to always fall on the clinician. The other thing is it's it's important to think about it as not so much adding something that you have to do, but shifting just a little bit the way you're doing something. So you can actually do it in the same amount of time. So let me just give you a quick example. Let's say you've got uh, an endocrinologist who's seeing a person with diabetes and that person comes in and their hemoglobin A1C is 12, their sugar's badly controlled. And so the doctor's looking at their chart. They say, geez, your, your labs are terrible. We've really got to think about how to shift your medications or we might have to put you on insulin. You know, I really want you to think harder about how you can change your diet and how you can really take better care of yourself and get some exercise. Okay, so there's the standard intervention. Let's say they come to the endocrinologist who's part of a team that's really doing whole health. So when they open the chart, they look at, here's on the front page, what matters to the veteran? What matters is spending time with my granddaughter. Okay, so now this is all before I saw the patient. So, um, hi, Mr. Jones, you know, how you doing? Glad to see you. Uh, you know, I noticed that your labs are kind of off and your blood sugar is a little bit higher than we wanted. And I also noticed that you know, it's really important to you to spend time with your granddaughter. And, and, and I heard she was getting married next summer. You know, if you really want to be at that wedding and be able to dance at that wedding, we've really got to work together to come up with some plans for how you're going to get your blood sugar down. So could we just talk about that? So that didn't take any more time. Mm -hmm. That just shifted the conversation, right? Yeah. So, you know, that's hard to get across to people. It's very hard, especially for the physicians to not look at this as one more thing to do. I, I'm not trying to make it sound easy. It's that's a hard message to get there. Um, but then we get to the last, the last question you, you raised about the payment. So, you know, VA, we are fortunate. People do have RBUs, but 
it's not quite the same level of churning as what you have to do in the private sector where you're getting paid you know per visit is directly what shows up in your paycheck um but we still have a ways to go in VA because VA also has built-in incentives that lead to performance bonuses and it has uh, built-in incentives into the payment structure internally so that facilities that do a better job at something will get a bigger budget next year. And what we're working on is really getting the concept of well-being and promoting the well-being of the veteran built into uh, the incentive system and the payment system. And uh, that requires that we also start to measure it more routinely. So we're working on strategies for how can we, um, in a reliable way, start to measure well-being on a regular basis in veterans. And that's another whole conversation. But um, I think there's still a lot of work to do in that arena in terms of aligning incentives with what the long-term goal is. Let me just put it that way. No, that's that's great. I love the fact that you're measuring it and, and looking to compensate for it. Is any of this built into the electronic medical record? I mean, yes, it is all it is all built into the electronic medical record now. So, for example, the personal health inventory that I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. there is a template in the electronic record so people can uh, fill that out, access it. It becomes part of the chart. Uh, similarly, some of the other measures we're talking about, the well-being measure that we're trying to spread, that's also available in the medical record now. So that's been a, I think we've been out ahead in terms of making sure these things are incorporated into the medical record so that really it facilitates people using them instead of uh, making it harder. That's great. I know we're, we're running out of time and I, I would love to actually dive into that, just what you were raising about well-being and measuring it and compensating for it. I, I just, I think that is just absolutely brilliant. Let's do another one. Let's do it. Okay, I'm gonna end with a couple of quick questions though. If you were going to give a, a critical piece of advice or recommendation to hospital or healthcare system leaders across the country, what would that be? Um, I think the advice would be that we have data coming in that shows that this approach really increases uh, patient satisfaction. Uh, it increases the probability that people will choose your health system. So we have data coming in that shows that veterans who are using whole health are more likely to recommend the VA to fellow veterans. So I think from the kind of CEO point of view, um, there's a lot to say that this is something that will distinguish your health system and really um, help it to grow. I think that's, that's probably the main thing I would say in terms of putting out the argument. That's great. I think we're going to close with that. I, I am going to definitely take you up on your offer and I'd love to speak with you some more. Ben, Dr. Kligler, I can't thank you enough for what you're doing, for the fact that you're doing it in the VA for veterans is just amazing and just so the right thing to do. So thank you. And Ben, I close out every episode here with turning to the, the listeners and friends and colleagues and saying that I just want to thank all of you out there who are also doing the hard work each and every day of taking care of patients. And those of you who are supporting those who are taking care of patients, we truly appreciate you for what you're doing, especially in the last couple of years and, and just this pandemic and do recognize how not only how critically important your work is for patients, but for their families, for our communities, and quite honestly, for our entire society. So uh, my friends, until next time, this is Zev Neuwirth on creating a new healthcare. Be safe and be well. And again, Dr. Ben Klickler cannot thank you enough. So, so exciting and inspiring to speak with you today. Thank you so much for having me, Zev. Really appreciate it. Take care, Ben, and we'll, we'll definitely talk soon.